The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandrabali Ghosh. We're here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here are your hosts Nancy Kerala with Dr. Chandrabali Ghosh. Welcome to C. diff spores and more. We would like to thank our sponsor, the C. diff Foundation, for making this show possible, and our listeners for joining us today. I'm your host, Nancy Kerala. Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh could not be here today as she had previous engagements. Let's begin today's show and to start discussing microbiota restoration therapy with our first guest, Lee Jones, President and CEO of Rebiotics Incorporated. Welcome, Lee. Oh, thank you, Nancy. Lee, and we are so ex- ecstatic to, for you to be here, and we thank you for joining us today. And we are um, excited to learn more about Rebiotics and exactly who Rebiotics is. Sure, I'll be happy to talk about that. Rebiotics is a company that was founded in 2011 to try to find a cure for people who suffered from recurrent Clostridium difficile disease. Uh, and Nancy, you and I have spoken about this quite a bit. Uh, there's not a lot of options for people who who have repeated incidents of C. diff disease. We've developed a new product based on human gut microbiome and microbiota products that we are now investigating for the, the treatment and cure of uh, people that have recurrent C. diff disease. Well, thank you so much, Lee, and we appreciate that introduction to about Rebiotics. Lee, can you explain to our listeners what it is exactly that you do with Rebiotics? Sure. What we do is we gather uh, human-donated stool material, and then we strip the microbes from the stool and package it in a, in a drug product that then can be delivered to the patient as that patient needs therapy. We... Um, We've been working on this product for quite some time and have been and have are now currently in a clinical study that's the first of its kind ever that's a placebo controlled multi centered double blinded randomized trial and for people that are aware of what that means, it means that we are looking at the effectiveness of our therapy against a placebo, which means that the person isn't getting their active treatment, so we'll get to see what the real efficacy and safety is of, of a, a microbiota product. That's incredible. Wonderful. And I understand that Rebiotics is uh, conducting a clinical study uh, with your product for C. diff treatment. Um, would you be able to tell us more about that? Sure. What we're doing is we're enrolling people who have had recurrent Clostridium difficile disease, multiple occurrences. So they have to have had at least uh, three occurrences of the disease or two in which they were hospitalized in order to be um, eligible for the study. The, the patients enroll in the study, they get a treatment that's assigned to them, either 
our active product or a, a placebo control, and then we they we follow the patients over a period of time to see uh, you know how basically how they do. We track the safety of the product. We track you know outcome of the of the therapy, and then those results we report to the FDA uh, so that we can move the product closer to market. Okay, and we understand that um, patients who have C. difficile, are they eligible to take uh, in be included in your clinical study? Yes, but they would need to have more than one episode. So typically we don't see the first, you know, if a patient gets C. diff in the hospital, for example, um, and they get treated with antibiotics, those typically aren't the patients we see. The people that we see are the ones that have had multiple, you know, therapies, but their disease keeps coming back, and generally they've run out of options. Okay, and patients and their families can access your website, www.rebiotics, that's R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X dot com, and learn more about the PUNCH-CD study and clinical trials in progress. Um, Lee, what is the overall purpose of conducting a clinical study at this time? You know, the concept of fecal transplant in the last few years has gotten a lot of popular press and scientific press. So there's a lot of interest and belief that this therapy can cure people with C. diff. What hasn't happened is that the actual clinical studies um, that generate the scientific information have not been done. This is really important, especially for people who feel like you know they're in a hurry or they want to do this at home because they think it's safe and effective. Uh, what we're learning is that it's a much more complicated uh, uh, product than than something that someone should be doing at home. Exactly. And Lee, can you tell us a little bit about the involvement with the Federal Drug Administration and the guidelines the FDA have issued on fecal microbiota transplants? Sure. Uh, the, the FDA has designated fecal microbiota transplants as a drug product. And what that means is that it's something that needs to be investigated for safety and efficacy so that we can tell other people what they can expect from the therapy. Um, they issued a guidance in 2013 that, that called it a drug and required anybody using the product to uh, apply to them for an investigational new drug in order to use it and, and study it. Okay. And, Lee, we speak with a lot of individuals who call the foundation, and they share their stories about their um, doing um, fecal transplants at, and at home and, and other ways, and some of them have not gone very well. What are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I think, you know, as we learn more, you know, we assume that everybody that we see walking around that, seems normal as a healthy person, and that's often not the case. So when someone chooses to do a fecal transplant at home, they're not, they don't have the ability to test the donor for a lot of the, the diseases that they may be transmitting on. So part of the reason that, that the work is being done through the FDA is so that we can understand better what are things in donor stool that can help somebody and what things that are in donor stool that can hurt somebody. But, but you don't have that at, at home. So people who are doing it at home are putting themselves actually at quite a bit of risk 
and the science around this is still developing. Yeah, exactly. You're right. It is. And, and Lee, um, we applaud you for the work that you're doing at Rebiotics and, and to making sure the patients and uh, um, the, the donors, everyone is safe. And we wanted to know that um, what is it that you do to ensure the quality of your product that you are using in the clinical study? We do a number of things. Of course, we, we test each and every donor and each and every donor's stool to make sure that they're free of pathogens each time so that the product that we make from their stool is pathogen-free to the patient. Um, we've packaged the product in a way that when, we, when it gets to the patient, it has a guaranteed quality so that we can, we can tell the patient, hey, if you take our product, here's what you can expect from it and here's how safe it is. So we do a lot of quality testing. We, we have submitted all that work to the FDA to work with them to get, to get this product approved and on the market. Okay, and um, in regards to the product on the market, do you have any idea when it will be available um, in the clinical setting? We're expecting that sometime in 2017, assuming all of our clinical product or clinical studies work well and we get the correct safety data. Okay, and Lee, do you have any final comments that you'd like to share with our audience? You know, I would. I, I, first of all, my heart goes out to everybody who has C. diff. As I've gotten involved in this product more and more, I meet more and more people who are affected by this disease. So, Nancy, your foundation is really important to reach out to people to let them know that there are new therapies coming their way and that there is some hope for them. I, I really appreciate the fact that you're putting on these uh, radio programs to reach out to people. Okay, well, Lee, we applaud you, and like I said, and we thank you so much for introducing Rebiotics to our listeners and for the information on microbiota replacement therapy. We look forward to your next visit and updates, of course, and thank you again for joining us today on C. diff spores and more. Uh, we'd like to again reiterate to our listeners that Rebiotics um, has a seed punch CD study in progress. In you can take their survey online at www.rebiotics. That's R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X dot com, and we will return after this break and ret- and uh, speak with our. Professor Nancy Sheridan, who is a C. diff survivor and an FMT patient. We thank you again, Lee, and hang, uh, we'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Join us November 9, 2015 for the Raising C. diff and Healthcare-Associated Infection Awareness Conference. This event will be chaired by Dr. Mark Wilcox, Professor of Medical Microbiology at the University of Leeds, UK, and hosted at the Doubletree Suites by Hilton Hotel in Boston, Cambridge. For more information about the event, call us toll-free at 1-844-4C-DIFF or register starting on April 1st through the website cdifffoundation.org forward slash upcoming events. Call 1-844-4C-DIFF, 1-844-367-2343. We look forward to meeting you on November 9th. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, 
chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. To help support the C-Diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-Diff. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C-Diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C-Diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C-Diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again are Nancy Karala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Welcome back to C. diff Sports and More. I'm your host, Nancy Karala, and we welcome our listeners to, who are joining us today. It's our pleasure to introduce our next guest, Professor Nancy Sheridan. Uh, Nancy is a C. diff survivor and a fecal microbiota transplant patient. Nancy, welcome to the show. Hi, Nancy. Thank you so much for asking me to uh, speak. Well, we appreciate your time, and uh, we are very happy that you're feeling better. And we appreciate you telling your story to our listeners today who are either going through a C. diff infection or recovering from one, and their families also. So, Nancy, let's not, um, I don't want to postpone any more here, and just uh, I would like to start off by asking you, can you tell us a little bit about the events that led up to your C. difficile infection? Sure, sure. And, you know, I, I appreciate talking because I feel like I represent a group of people who um, might have normally been very healthy and then all of a sudden for the first time are dealing with very serious medical issues for the first time in their life. Um, I was very healthy. Um, working full-time, very active, 50-year-old, um, traveled quite a bit, extensively globally, came back from one of my trips to China, and all of a sudden felt very, very ill. And my diagnosis was diverticulitis, which actually is something that my father had, so I was familiar with it. While I was hospitalized for diverticulitis, I was giving um, broad-spectrum antibiotics and had some reactions and rashes, so the antibiotics kept changing. Um, when I was released from the hospital, I was advised that I would need to have surgery. And so as I was going for pre-surgical testing, um, I had a very bad case of diarrhea, and I was concerned and mentioned it to my surgeon. So he asked me to get a battery of tests. We were actually looking for parasites from my trip to China, and it turned out I was diagnosed with C. diff. And it seemed like I didn't really know anything about it, but when I said that diagnosis the nurses' faces sort of became forlorn and the doctor said, well, we have to really, you know, figure this out. So um, that became a six-month journey of um, quite, quite difficult uh, medical issues. 
I am so very sorry that you endured so much. I mean, having diverticulitis is, is one thing, and having C. diff on top of it, it just compounds the whole diagnosis. And I'm yeah. so sorry that for the suffering, too. Um, Nancy, can you tell us a little bit how you were treated and what treatments you received to, for the C. diff infection? Yes, I was initially... Um, told that, you know, I could do um, a vancomycin, which was this kind of an antibiotic that would only um, affect sort of my colon area, and this would be cleared up. Um, and I did a round of two weeks of vancomycin, um, and I was okay after that for about two weeks, um, and then immediately got very violently ill again. Um, and I started to be very concerned about the C. diff because this was in my mind, secondary to the surgery for my um, resection of the colon. Um, I actually went through the surgery um, having vancomycin IV in the hospital and then came home and was told because of the procedure and because I really cleared out my colon at that point, there was a good prognosis that this would all go away. I was home from the hospital a very short amount of time off of the vancomycin and got, again, very, very ill. So it was clear to me that this wasn't something that was going away easily. Um, I had several reoccurrences and continually went on the vancomycin. Um, and, you know, I kind of was concerned that maybe there had to be another route that I had to look into because this wasn't clearing up with just that uh, form of therapy. Right. And no, uh, sometimes it just doesn't. And, and Nancy, after the several reoccurrences, what guidance did your healthcare providers um, give you? I, I will say I had very great relationships with all of my doctors, but I think after about the fourth reoccurrence, they, I sort of, the uh, relationship kind of changed a bit, and I felt that this was something that was um, difficult for them. They really didn't have any more to sort of offer me other than, you know, vancomycin and maybe just um, continue to do tapers or continue to take more or higher dosage. And I was, I really didn't want to go that route. So I, I was very concerned um, and started reading medical journals and did as much research as I could get my hands on um, and found uh, the New England Journal of Medicine had done a study. And I think the report was, you know, with the fecal transplant, the patient's uh, recovery rate was a, a much higher rate than the drug therapy with vancomycin. So I started to really look into this and start to think um, that this was a viable option for me. Okay. And Nancy, can you tell us um, about the procedure for your fecal microbiota transplant? Yes, yes. The first thing uh, was finding a doctor that I felt comfortable with, that I thought would understand my situation and the suffering. I actually was out of work for six months. I, I had to take a medical leave. I couldn't leave the house. I was really homebound. And after being a very active um, you know, individual, this was very difficult for me. So I really needed someone to hear my concerns. Um, so I, I spoke to a few doctors over the phone um, and found a doctor in the city that I live um, who does the procedure. And, and I actually was surprised there were so few. Um, when I actually went in and we spoke about the procedure, uh, based on my history, based on the reoccurrences, based on the taper with vancomycin and my current uh, very recent surgery, I was a candidate for the fecal transplant. Um, and he walked me through um, everything I really needed to consider to make the decision. 
um, you know, I could have, and he would have, he allowed me to select either a donor or use a bank. Um, and for various reasons, I ended up using the bank for timing and for the medical history of the donor that I had chosen. Really didn't, wasn't um, something that I wanted to use uh, when the medical history and the testing came back. Um, the procedure was very, very simple. I was actually quite surprised how simple it was. It was just like prepping for a colonoscopy, which I have had several. Um, the, pre- the prep to a colonoscopy to clear your colon. Um, and then light um, anesthesia, having the scope, um, and then having the fecal um, transplant happen during that procedure. The only real difference was at the end, I was asked to sort of lay still for an hour or two in, um, after the procedure and then really try to not go to the bathroom for several hours. Um, the longer was better, that's <laughs> what I was told, to just allow it to take um, hold into my uh, colon. Um, and quite frankly, I, I felt very, very good after the procedure, and I had very high optimistic hopes. Um, and as it turned out, a day or two later, um, my um, bowel movements became much more regular. Um, I had uh, gas uh, for a few days. Um, and quite frankly, it, uh, that was about the most inconvenience that I had after the procedure. Okay, Nancy, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And Nancy, were there any follow-up, um, any follow-up orders uh, post-fecal uh, microbiota transplant that you had to follow? Um, really, I, it was more, I was really a little bit on a stricter diet because of the diverticulitis um, and the healing of the surgery. So I'm a bit more careful about um, what I'm eating. I actually had um, the doctor who performed the um, FMT, uh, FMT um, really called on a weekly basis to follow up and see how I was doing. I actually had lost during that six-month period about 30 pounds, um, and I was actually quite, an, quite ill, and I'm not sure for what purpose, but my, my hair started falling out, and I was quite weak. Um, so I regained a lot of the strength and my hair started, you know, becoming more normal. Um, and I gained uh, 10, 10 to 15 more pounds over the course of the last three months. Um, so I feel much stronger. Um, I'm a bit careful about what I do eat, only really more for the colon surgery. Um, but I feel as though I'm back at work. I'm actually speaking to you from my desk in my office. I'm teaching a full schedule. I've been swimming. I've been skiing. I've resumed really very normal activities, and the transplant was um, January 2nd. So I'm three months very feeling quite, quite well afterward. Wonderful. Well, we congratulate you on your recovery and a successful procedure that you endured. And we, sh- we thank you so much, Nancy, for sharing your story and for letting others know about um, what you went through and how a fecal microbiota transplant changed it all around for you. Um, we, do you have any closing comments at this time before we um, go take a quick break? Sure. I would just say to anyone who's out there suffering through this, uh, and it's it's a terrible thing to suffer through, um, really advocate for yourself. You know, I was always of the mind that, um, you know, my doctors would really guide me to where I needed to be, but I think at some point you have to take a little bit of the research on for yourself and really find um, information that really rings true to you. Um, as a patient and really advocate for yourself and what you need. Um, and if you're there and you're, and you're questioning maybe some of the things that you're hearing, um, do the research to find the answers that, you, that will help you. 
Exactly. And thank you so much, Nancy. And we know that you um, have an interest in also the C. Diff Foundation's volunteer program. We have commend you and we appreciate your time and effort for that also. And we thank you for, uh, you know, sharing your story today. And we wish you the best of health from today forward. And right now we are going to say goodbye to Nancy Sheridan and take a brief commercial break. And we'll be returning uh, to speak with Dr. Uh, with Glenn Taylor, microbiologist of the Tamont Clinic. Thank you very much. And we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Biohacking for Health is working with your individual biology to gain access to and control over the systems within your body. It allows you to explore your biology and improve health and wellness. Each of us has unique genetic profiles and physiology that require individualized approaches. On Biohacking for Optimal Health, Dr. Daniel Stickler and his expert guests provide a roadmap to navigate the world of biohacking human potential. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. To help support the C. Diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. Diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. Diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. Diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us November 9, 2015 for the Raising C. Diff and Healthcare-Associated Infection Awareness Conference. This event will be chaired by Dr. Mark Wilcox, Professor of Medical Microbiology at the University of Leeds, UK, and hosted at the Doubletree Suites by Hilton Hotel in Boston, Cambridge. For more information about the event, call us toll-free at 1-844-4C-DIFF or register starting on April 1st through the website cdifffoundation.org forward slash upcoming events. Call 1-844-4C-DIFF, 1-844-367-2343. We look forward to meeting you on November 9th. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again are Nancy Karala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more. I'm your host, Nancy Karala, and we welcome our listeners who are joining us today. It's our pleasure to introduce our next guest, Glenn Taylor, microbiologist at the Tamont Clinic outside of London in the UK. Welcome, Glenn. Thank you very much, Nancy. I, I uh, heard you very nearly called me doctor. My dear, how dare you? I work for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did, and that's okay, too. Today, you can be Dr. Glenn Taylor. 
<laughs> well, we appreciate you taking your time uh, out of your office and joining us today. I know there's a five-hour ta- time difference here, um, but let's uh, go right into this and talk about fecal microbiota transplants. Um, have you? Uh, they have been described as the most effective treatment against C. diff currently available. Glenn, why do you think it is so effective? Yeah, they're in- in fact, I think on, on two sites in the United Kingdom, both on the National Institute of Clinical Excellence and on the National Health Services Choices site, it's been described as the most effective treatment against C. difficile to date. Now, the jury's still out on all the reasoning, but it would appear at this stage that the answer could be enzymatic that we humans don't produce these particular enzymes that some of the bacteria do produce. And bacteria utilize enzymes not only to take advantage of their environment and to be able to to metabolize food sources from them, but also to to keep certain areas clear for themselves. Now, there's species of of, uh, Clostridium in particular, Clostridium difficile and its cousin, Clostridium syndens, cannot stand the sight of each other. They want to be in the same room. And to ensure that they're not, Sindens, for example, produces an enzyme that what's called decolonizes. Uh, the, the presence of the enzyme causes bac- the, the bacterium, the, the, the pathogenic bacterium of difficile to literally disengraft from its environment and move on and find somewhere a little bit more comfortable. Now, that's one of the potential causes, uh, reasons that, that we've encountered so far. There's many more that we've got to look into, and that's what the research is all about. But the, uh, the main story seems to be that it requires uh, a whole host of different bacteria producing a whole host of different chemicals that are just too unpleasant for difficile to be able to tolerate. And if you've got all the good ones in place, yeah, that's what you do. You keep them out. Amazing. So, so we have um, some C. Clostridium difficile and the Sindel. Okay, well, we have learned something new today. Clostridium thindens. Sindens. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And, and that's all new to me also. Uh, but, Glenn, uh, we wanted to ask you, the Tamar Clinic website describes the procedure as fecal microbiota transplant, yet we hear the term fecal transplant. Uh, it seems to be used more commonly. Is there a difference between the two descriptions of this procedure? Well, yeah, there sure is. I, I suspect the fecal transplant is used just for brevity. It's convenient, but the two terms are actually really rather different. Um, If I tell you that our intention was to look for the active component that did the work that we were hoping to achieve, and that was the bacteria itself. Now, a, a microbiota is simply a community of bacteria living uh, in a mutually beneficial fashion in a particular environment. For example, you know, you've got a microbiota in your hair, up your nose, in your throat. You've got a microbiota in your mouth that is on the back of your teeth and is very different from the microbiota that lives on the front of your teeth. Look at the palm of your hands. 17% of the bacteria are different between both palms because you do different things with different hands. You put them in different places. You shake hands. You you work the car keys. You open door locks. You do all sorts of different things with different hands and things change. So microbiota happens to be bacteria living in a place. A transplant, we all know what a transplant is. And where do we get these bacteria from? From feces, 
fecal microbiota transplant. Now, that is the essence of what we're looking to achieve. You can, of course, get a fecal transplant, which is like the whole thing, raw sewage, if you okay. want. Okay. Wow. Okay. So there is a, a, a definite difference. And, and there is a difference in the implant material being utilized at the clinic versus other clinics, isn't there? Uh, yeah. We, we really were focusing on what might not be helpful in a whole fecal transplant and what would be helpful, as I said in the previous question. So for us, it was a case of like, the food serves no purpose. So let's, let's remove all the food products. And I don't mean by a little, a little like a tea sieve or something like that. We utilize a very sophisticated method of removing food particles down to 20 microns. That's 20 thousandths of a millimeter. The other components that still remain alongside the bacteria were going to be a problem to us as well because let's be honest, we utilize feces and the alimentary tract to do a lot more than just digest our food. We throw quite a bit of rubbish down there. And if you consider that while everything is being processed through our liver and the liver then marks and splits out and, and tries to neutralize compounds that it finds and sends them either off as a liquid to the kidneys to be thrown out in urine or, or to then park the solids straight down the alimentary tract, there will be a whole host of stuff. You know, all the, all the usual stuff that anybody would be expected to find in the toxins. There'll be additives and colorings and herbicides, insecticides, fungicides, um, preservatives, GM, components of GMO foods, uh, plastifiers, heavy metals. Gosh, the amount that we encounter every day. So those are all unwelcome and we throw them out in our feces. Now we thought, not too helpful in immunocompromised patients, we'll leave those out as well. So our process was, one, remove the food, two, remove the toxins and metabolites and you know, components of, of other drugs, um, medical products that were going to complicate the issue. So we effectively kind of wash and rinse the bacteria, remain with just the bacteria. This is not, this is not new science, Nancy. This is any... Any student who goes to college to study bacteriology does this in their first year, does this in their first semester, learns how to extract the pure microbiota from anything else so that they can study, work on it, and then keep it and put it safely somewhere so they can come back next week and continue the study and then put it away. And we utilize just very tried and tested laboratory processes, not invested, invented Anything new here, this is pure, regular science that we use. Right. So and there we, was... um, yeah, we just, we, we've got whole microbiota preserved safely in the right type of, of um, uh, defensive compounds that will allow them to be frozen. Um, the object being that we wanted to reduce the number of times that they could possibly present a mutation. That appeared to be a very, very big problem in why probiotics have a difficult time in engrafting in the human gut. And we, we, we broke that one fairly early on. We made sense of that. So we said, right, we've just got to stop mutation. We've got to stop evolution. Catch them early. Put them to sleep. 
bring them out of sleep, and utilize them. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Glenn, for that thorough explanation of the difference in the material that you are utilizing at the clinic. And, Glenn, I must ask you, and that is, what is your own success rate for treating C. difficile infections, and have you had any recurrences in your patients at the clinic? Okay, right. Um, now, let's put this in perspective. You're probably, if anybody's done any research on us, you'll find that we're possibly the only pure FMD clinic um, in the Northern Hemisphere. And we've performed around about 5,000 procedures so far and desperately collecting the data on those 5,000. That means that we're presented with just the most extraordinary range of disease conditions. Some of them I've never heard of before, but we look at some of the foundation of these conditions and understand the component parts of it. And and if it makes enough sense to us, we'll we'll say to the patient, well, look, we're going to do no harm given every other factor that we check you for. So let's see if changing your microflora has an effect on that particular condition. So back to C. diff. Um, A surprisingly small amount. We have uh, tested patients prior to treatment to make sure A and B toxin is present. There's no point in trying to treat something that's not there. And then we always post-procedurally test again to make sure that the toxin is either present or negative. And we've got, uh, uh, sorry, only five patients that we've treated with Clostridium difficile, treat, purely only Clostridium difficile, that we've tested positive before and negative after. Have we had any recurrence? No. Thankfully, touch wood, we have got a 100% record at the moment. But on okay. such a small sample number, that's nothing to, to start shouting about. We need to be doing, obviously, hundreds. But it's all the other conditions that we are concurrently treating that, that changes the, uh, the ratios. Okay. Well, that's really good to know, Glenn. Thank you. And we appreciate you sharing that with us. And um, we wanted to know also, Glenn, and can you share with our listeners about the staff caring for the patients at the Tamont Clinic? Mm, that was important that... People were comfortable and satisfied that somebody knowledgeable would be actually tending to them at their side. So all of our treatment staff, our medical staff, are senior nurses, uh, all fully qualified, and uh, that involves everybody doing the consultation process and treating, greeting, the, the final departure interviews, everything is carried out by medical personnel who are under the supervision of our chief medical officer, who is the area's lead gastroenterologist. So our medical protocols are overseen by one, one smart medical cookie, and uh, the nurses work under his very strict guidelines. So, yeah, we, we work with, very much with medical um, expertise at the forefront. I sit in the back row as a scientist doing the biology. Okay. Well, that's really good to know, and we appreciate that and commend you on that also. And um, at the Tamon Clinic, uh, is there licensure insured and regulations in any way? Oh, that, that is true. That was 
that took some carrying off. We have got full medical insurance, you know, medical liability and, and patient liability, obviously, to do what we do. But there was no insurer anywhere in the world that was offering specific cover for FMT itself. And we spent a long time. Uh, our Dr. Enid just went on a mission to try and find anybody who would provide us with any kind of cover. And she ended up with a... Um, a a medical professional indemnity that was specific for malpractice for FMT. And we have actually created, I possibly got the world's first FMT medical insurance, which actually includes product liability itself <laughs> for the material that we manufacture. There's a product liability for material that is, is used on our patients, uh, on our clinic property. So it's, um, yeah, the, the insurance was important. Now, as far as legislation is concerned, yeah, over in Europe, we have, we enjoy possibly a much more relaxed attitude to, to medicine. We're still very closely regulated, but we're not inhibited. We're not brought to a standstill as, as many parts of the world are by uh, medical legislators. We still have the opportunity within Europe for the country administrations to actually decide the rules and not allow any kind of commercial lobbying to, to skew the kind of um, licensing that takes place. We're currently running through, I think it's six, I think we just added another seventh license that we're having to obtain to make sure that we're fully covered. The big problem all the regulatory bodies have had is that we're like the first and they don't know quite how to handle it. So we've ended up being the people that create the protocols, the suggested protocols. So we had to kind of judge ourselves very carefully and think, if we were going to regulate this, how would we do it? And how would we make it really difficult for ourselves to achieve our own regulation? So we sat down and wrote out a regulatory schedule and presented it to the regulatory authorities and said, there you go, this is a starter. What do you think? So we're in the process now of actually creating formal legislation that, given the records, the previous history of the way that Europe does tend to look across to the UK for a little bit of guidance in some areas, could well be the the sort of the first regulatory structure framework within Europe for the use of uh, FMT as a, a credible treatment in a broad range of specific conditions. And, uh, that's wonderful. You are the pioneer in FMT, and uh, congratulations on all that you have accomplished so far, and we are very happy to hear it all. And Glenn, uh, right now we are going to pause for a minute and take a, a brief commercial break. Uh, when we return from break, we will continue speaking and discussing uh, microbiota fecal transplants with our guest Glenn Taylor, microbiologist from Tamon Clinic. You're listening to C. Diff Spores and More, and we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Join us November 9, 2015 for the Raising C. diff and Healthcare-Associated Infection Awareness Conference. This event will be chaired by Dr. Mark Wilcox, Professor of Medical Microbiology at the University of Leeds, UK, and hosted at the Doubletree Suites by Hilton Hotel in Boston, Cambridge. For more information about the event, call us toll-free at 1-844-4C-DIFF or register starting on April 1st through the website cdifffoundation.org forward slash upcoming events. Call 1-844-4C-DIFF, 1-844-367-2343. We look forward to meeting you on November 9th. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-CDIF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against CDIF and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for CDIF infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising CDIF awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again are Nancy Karala and Dr. Chandrabali Ghosh. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more. I'm your host, Nancy Karala, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We have been discussing fecal microbiota transplants with Glenn Taylor, microbiologist at the Taymont Clinic outside of London in the UK. Thank you again for joining us today, Glenn. It's a pleasure, Nancy. A pleasure, always. Thank you so much. Glenn, we're going to move right on into this, and we wanted to know that um, we understand that the Taymont Clinic places their uh, implants rectally via colonoscopy, but many doctors use the oral poop pill route. What are your thoughts about the different routes being utilized for this procedure? Okay, look, if any way of getting it in with some patients is a good way. Literally, any way you can make it. You've, you've got oral, or, or rectal. Sorry, has everybody finished dinner over there? Um, no, there's going to be some places people sitting around the table listening to this. Uh, there's um, uh, oral or rectal. Uh, rectal clearly is the way it comes out, is the way it goes back in. So there's a minimal uh, encounter with any kind of hazard that could actually affect the bacteria. So, yeah, to either go in by a colonoscope endoscopically or utilizing a, a specified rectal catheter, these are the, the, the ways that you can guarantee to put the bacteria exactly back where they came from. Um, there is a fashion to use the nasogastric, nasojejunal um, tube. Um, it, it, it serves a purpose. It does involve the bacteria being engaged with a hazardous environment it wouldn't normally encounter, and it's not ideal. But if the patient, for example, um, with Clostridium difficile is, is reaching the stages of toxic megacolon and you can't even get near their rectum, then any way, any way is a good way. Uh, as to... Uh, the, um, the famous and oft-quoted uh, crapsule. I'm not sure I'm supposed to say that. Do you want to take that out? Um, 
the, as to whether the current methods of production of the capsule that contains microflora is as effective as, as the producers think it is, mm, I'd say there's still a lot of development going on. I mean, we haven't ignored this. We to ourselves are also looking at uh, a delivery system that is carried out orally, but it is very, very different. Okay. And uh, in the success rate, I mean, have you seen a, or, or uh, know of the success rate via colonoscopy versus the poop pill? Um, I, because we don't offer a, a, a pill facility at the moment, and when we do, it will be, as I said, very different. We, we don't have the kind of figure to work by. So all I can do is, is look at data that we've managed to find so far. Um, endoscopically positioned appears to be winning at the moment over a lyophilized capsule. Mm -hmm. In terms of um, remission, I think, is is the the key to this. Uh, There's also an element of bacteria don't like change. They do need to be persuaded to move on. We have a huge difficulty in promoting a change of engraftment in a a reasonably happy gut that even though it's got a lot of bugs in it, it doesn't want to be changed. So we have to be a bit persistent and we do carry on our treatment sometimes much more than many other people would. But I think that's reflected in our remission rate. Right. And you also at the uh, Tamon Clinic, your procedure um, also has treatment of C. diff involves five implants over five days. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, okay. okay, here we go. Day one, let's get the little critters in place and, and start the fight going. Decide who's going to engraft, which of the bacteria are going to come out of the, um, the, the eyes of the capsule or the, the uh, placement by endoscopy or by, by catheter. So you get bacteria in place, first of all. You've got a huge huge amount of difficile that has completely filled the entire area. So there's, there's a big battle. Day one, hand knives, it's a street fight going on. Day two, continue. Don't just give up. Don't walk away. Have another go. So day two, we finish the job off. So we manage to disengraft. But, come on, Nancy, why do people have colonization by Clostridium difficile? Answer, because you haven't got the broad diversity and density of commensal microflora that stop everybody else in the world around you from having Clostridium difficile infection. Everybody else has got a brilliant amount of bacteria. A person who falls over with C. diff is critically missing diversity and density of, of a broad range of commensal species. So, do we just abandon the patient at this stage? Ah, we, we think we might have just killed the, uh, the Clostridium. Oh, really? Um, what if it comes back in a week's time? What have you done to prevent it? And I see that's where we think now. Nah, it's just, look, it's not worth not doing it. If you've got the patient there and you've got the procedures and they're, they're pretty tolerant to, to the implant procedure, then just do them a favor, please. Just do another three implants to ensure full engraftment and you watch the rates of remission then. And that's, look, it, it was done purely out of experience of doing this procedure for a whole bunch of stuff that we've encountered that made us say, mm, 
One's not enough, is it? Uh, two's still not doing it. Well, let's just push it. We're a research facility, after all. So we just carried on. You know, at what point can we stop doing this treatment before it becomes highly effective? Hello, five times for C. diff. Yeah, okay, we'll call it a five. It's not compulsory, but it's been highly effective. Yes, it, it really has. And, and Glenn, I, I need to ask you uh, at this time, do you have any uh, closing comments you'd like to share with our listeners at this time? Oh, yeah, I think the most important thing is, look, I get criticized. I'm sorry I'm going to do it again. I get criticized for criticizing home treatments. Simple fact is, you have no idea what your don- donor may be carrying around. And the only way you can be absolutely sure is correct testing of a donor. I mean, very briefly, this is what you've got to do. You've got to, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs to find the prince. Once you've found somebody that's basically very fit, strong, and healthy, and you test their full microflora profile by 16S RRNA, RTQPCR sequencing technologies, you DNA test them, okay? This is, this is CSI colon time. When you've actually tested them and you know that they haven't got a disease, then you start to collect. But is it safe to use that? Oh, of course not. They may have picked something up the next day. So we have got a protocol in place that we think is reasonably sensible. So we've done an opening test. The, patient, the donor is good. You collect. You collect for three months. You test again. How's the donor doing? Well, actually, they're still pretty good. There's no disease. Fantastic. Can we start using it yet? No, 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 not yet. Because some diseases take longer than three months to present themselves. Oh, really? Yes, they do. So wait. Be patient. So we go on again another three months, and they, they've gradually been filling up the freezer. And we get to six months. We test them and say, hey, look, they're clear. They're good. Can we use it? Sure. Start from the beginning. Because that's now six months old. We know it's safe. We know they haven't got a disease. We know they're not hiding anything. We've been regularly testing them. This is the way that you make sure you don't give an immunocompromised patient something they weren't bargaining for. It's not rocket science. It's safety, patient safety at first. What is it, Nancy? At first, do no harm. And that's something when you choose your neighbor and you do it in your, your back kitchen and you put it through a strainer, are you really sure you know what you're doing? Right. And Glenn, I thank you so much for joining us today and for explaining the fecal microbiota transplant and the Tamont Clinic outside London in the UK and for treating C. Dip- you know, C. difficile infections. We know that we look forward to having you back as our guest in the, sh- in the near future and you can continue educating and sharing all the information uh, that you have and that you work on over there in we are grateful for you joining us. Uh, we, we need to say goodbye at this time, and we yep. will return uh, next week, uh, Tuesday. And we wish everyone uh, good health, and we dedicate every episode to the volunteers of the C. Diff Foundation and to all the C. Diff survivors worldwide. Never lose hope. Uh, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. Thank you so much, Glenn, and thank you for all of our guests joining us today, and we wish everyone good health. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. 
Be sure to join your hosts, Nancy and Dr. Ghosh, again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. Thanks again for listening.